Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com where you can get all your fantasy gear, trophies, rings, accessories today. Be a champ today. The O Show in the building. up everybody welcome back to the o show podcast presented by fantasyjocks.com i am your host jack o'hara and today we have a very special guest the play-by-play broadcaster from the miami marlins paul severino this is what the big leagues feels like folks (laughs) you know 30 40 50 years from now when i'm accepting a ford frick award i'll be able to look back at this moment right here where i'm dressed like this is honestly another uh, must-listen. I really enjoyed this chat. Like uh, Victor Rojas, the play-by-play uh, commentator for the L.A. Uh, Angels I had a few weeks ago. This one, Paul Severino from the Miami Marlins, talks about his ex- uh, seven-year experience with the MLB Network. Uh, ESPN grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, a huge Yankee fan. Uh, tells the story of how he got the call and how... He knew he was going to be the play-by-play voice of the Miami Marlins with him and Matt Vaskersian. That little story, that insane story, uh, talks a little bit about growing up in broadcasting, all the internships he's had. Talks about Derek Jeter's uh, initiative to trade Stanton, to trade Marcelo Zuna, to trade Christian Yelich. Two MVPs right there. Uh, Talks about the word tanking, why the Marlins aren't doing that. Of course, you play to win the ball game every day. Uh, We get into a little bit about that. Manny Machado has signed a contract. It is February, what, February 20th today? He got his deal. He got his money, got exactly what he asked for, 10 years, $300 million, the largest contract in American sports history or North American sports history. And he gets to live in the nicest part of the country, San Diego, signs with the San Diego Padres of all of all teams. Um, show, goes to show you that uh, <laughs> anything could happen in baseball, I guess. I mean, it was the Yankees, the White Sox, the Phillies. Um, that's about it. The Dodgers for a little bit in the beginning, but that, that was about it. So Padres end up with Machado. Put him in the mix with Hosmer, Will Myers, Fernando Tatis Jr. Going to be exciting. The pitching still sucks in San Diego. They, they're still a few years away from being postseason eligible, uh, but should be interesting down the road. Let's get in to episode 49 presented by, or the Osho podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com with Miami Marlins play-by-play broadcaster at Fox Sports Florida, Paul Severino. I hope so. Boy, I hope so. Yeah. 
fast just because it's like the biggest thing right now in baseball. Padres, Machado, 10 years, $300 million. Uh, do you, like, What do you think about that? Is it a smart move for the Padres to make a deal like this, largest in American sports history? And do you think Machado will stay disciplined for the next five, uh, at least five years before he can opt out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, all we kept hearing about this, about Machado and probably Harper, too, was just that you know they were going to go wherever the money was. Um, and I, I, I'm certainly not privy to all the different offers that were on the table, but... Um, you know, obviously, unless you're Bryce Harper in Washington turning down $300 million over 10 years, um, it's it's hard to walk away from that. But, you know, I think that it kind of fits a need um, for um, for the Padres and kind of where they are in terms of, like, you know, big league-ready personnel. Obviously, they've got a great farm system. So now is kind of the time to strike while the iron's hot, you know. I mean, I know that they tried to build it up um, a couple of years ago uh, and then ended up kind of breaking it down shortly thereafter. But... You know, you build up the farm system, and it seems like they've got some some really good impact players there, uh, position players, pitchers, and stuff like that. But um, there aren't many Manny Machados out there that kind of grow on trees. You know, the, the position that they are looking for and uh, obviously his, his impact, and just in terms of, a, a, I don't know if it's business aspect or fan base or whatever you want to call it, but, you know, the... the there's no other major pro sports in San Diego, so they kind of have to own that market. And, you know, I think it was kind of smart uh, to go out and get Eric Hosmer last year and, and kind of be that first cornerstone piece and now get Manny Machado and be, be the second. Yeah, and of course, I feel like good for him. He gets his deal, gets his 10 years, gets his $300 million. He's in probably what you can consider the nicest part of the entire country. So good for him there. Uh, with this Machado deal... Now that Bryce Harper's kind of the headliner in free agency right now, you still got Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell available, but do you see Bryce Harper getting the same type of money, and with whom do you think he'd sign? I don't think he would sign for a dime less than $300 million. Right. <laughs> just, just kind of knowing uh, this this offseason was the one that was circled, uh, you know, shortly after he, uh, he he made his big league debut, knowing when he'd be, uh, when he'd be a free agent, be able to test the market, and... You know, he, a, a guy of his star power, both in terms of just kind of persona, but also skill level. Um, I heard yesterday something that he's you know 78th in a WAR or whatever last year. I mean, whatever. He's still he's still an impact player that I'm sure 30 teams uh, would sign up for. Uh, certainly not at the money, or else he'd have a team by now. But you know, 30 teams would want a guy like that. There's no question about it. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know where it would be, but. Knowing his agent Scott Boris, who always seems to prove us all wrong, you know, yeah. like everybody says, oh, there's no way he's gonna get a guy to do this or that or whatever, and then we sit there, oh, there's a mystery team, and oh, here we go again, he's drumming up some sort of interest, just trying to drive up the price, and then you know, at the end of the day, he he usually gets uh, he usually gets his client the money, the years, whatever he wants, um, you know, so. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know exactly where. I mean, you know, I've heard people kind of obviously throw Philadelphia out there. And, you know, for me, if if Philadelphia was willing to do both at one point in time, uh, Machado and Harper, then you knew that both of those guys were, let's just say, 250 apiece, that, you know, that they were willing to go out on a limb and, and invest $500 million in two players. So, 
if 325 million is the number and they were willing to spend 500, like, you know, I know it's much more complex math than that, but you know, why hasn't it got done yet? Is, is Philadelphia the highest offer, but, but Harper doesn't want to go there. Is it, is it still, maybe still the Padres? I heard that they were still maybe thinking about making some room for them. You know, who knows? Honestly, I I don't know. I wish I had an answer. And, you know, camps have opened up. I'm sure wherever he's going to end up, they'll welcome him with open arms. But uh, would have loved to have this done uh, weeks ago so they can open up camp and and not have – it's still early enough if he signs the next week or so that it's not really, you know, a distraction necessarily. No, we've got to have a press conference at 11 a.m. before a 1 o'clock game. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But – you know, I'm sure that they would have loved to have kind of start camp and break camp with uh, with the player, but that's not to say that they would turn him away because we're a week or so into camp. And you mentioned San Diego still might be in on him. Like, a guy like Harper, you just signed Machado to a $300 million deal. Do they even dare to even offer and dangle that money in front of Harper and Boris? Again, you have two guys now with $300 million deals under your belt. You know, I've never had between you and I. I've never had six hundred million dollars in the bank. To know I believe you. Like, yeah. Yeah. To spend, <laughs> uh, to spend, to spend and hand out to two players. I don't know what their financials are. Um, you know, in terms of all the the inner workings of it. Um, obviously, I know that Hosmer's owed a, a, a nice chunk of change over the next whatever it is, six seven years, and, and Will Myers has some money left on his deal, and of course they've got the Machado money now in the books. You know, I don't know what, again, we've seen the Nationals get creative when it turns out uh, that, you know, they're deferring money. And, you know, I'm sure if they if they wanted to make it happen, if they could make it happen, um, that it, it would be nice. I mean, again, I can't pretend to get inside Bryce Harper's head, but, you know, again, he's a, he's a West Coast guy from Las Vegas. So San Diego is not that far from home. Obviously, they spring train in Peoria. So it's, again, not that far from home as opposed to a, you know, Grapefruit League team. Whether that makes a difference or not, I have no idea. Uh, he's been an East Coast player his entire professional career uh, with the Nationals training in Florida and obviously playing at D.C. So I don't know. I don't know. Um I'm, I'm kind of like the rest of uh, the rest of the baseball world from a fan perspective. I'm just trying to wait and see what happens and see see where the chips fall. And given how these guys are signing, like even last year, you saw like JD Martinez not sign until spring started. Do you think MLB and like Rob Manfred like actually try and do something where players sign earlier? Like there's a certain deadline, or do you think this is just going to keep getting worse and worse from a free agency standpoint? I think that it's just a matter of kind of all the all the all the players involved and then that 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 means players that means owners that means agents that means everybody involved with the players association everybody who's kind of involved and i think most most of those areas are are kind of seeing where the game and the industry is heading and it, it seems like it, at least in you know over the weekend and what we heard you know whether it's marcus stroman or, or adam wainwright making all these you know quotes about we're going to strike and how come there's no money go around all this sort of stuff you know it's like if you buy a house for three hundred fifty thousand dollars next year it might be worth four hundred fifty thousand dollars and the year after that it might be worth two hundred thousand dollars you know who knows like it, it just it, the markets fluctuate Obviously, the way the teams now go into, uh, you know, evaluating players in terms of what what their values are on the open market for a free agent deal or whatever, that's changed. You know, it's not 
it's not like okay, we're going to look at your batting average, home runs, and RBIs, and uh, and you know your highlight reel, and say, oh, we got to have this player, and here's a blank check. It's not that way anymore, and it seems as though the, you know, some of the players um, feel like, well, hey, you know, I was, there's no reason why it shouldn't be that way, but you know, I I don't think that any ownership group or or whatever it is 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 doing wrong i just think that they're being smart i think that they they've probably seen the writing on the wall the last decade or two and seen that you know the dead money that's on the books is not you know fun money you know i mean every team's got some some form or fashion of it some teams have more than others of that you know dead money or you know making a trade to free themselves up of some money and all that kind of stuff. I, I just think that, you know, you don't become billionaire owners by not being smart with your dollar. You know what I mean? Right. So I just think that the evaluation process has changed and therefore it's changed the, the market uh, quite a bit, obviously, in terms of, you know, how long it takes. But then again, I mean, some guy, as you mentioned, it just signed the, the largest free agent contract in history. So, you know, how bad is it? Why? Because, you know, we who sit here and, and chase the stories and have to cover the sport are, are complaining that it took so long to get some actual news. You know, at the end of the day, by opening day, Manny Machado is going to have his money and the team's going to have a player that they want. And, you know, it's a small market team. It's a team in a division that they haven't won for a while. It, there, there's almost no losers in the situation, if you think about it that way. You know, I mean, if it were, if he signed the same years 10 million uh, 10 years 300 million dollars with the yankees everybody be complaining well here we go the rich get richer again all right well now what the, the padres who don't often spend too much money now they're you know going after a division and now they're trying to load up their roster with big ticket free agents i mean who, who loses in the situation the players are, don't get can't get PO'd because you know uh, a big time player took less money and kind of messed with the the median income if that's what you want to call it. So I just think that uh, with this situation uh, as of right now, I mean who knows how it all pans out five or ten years from now. But I just think that with what how it shook out that uh, that there are no losers. Right, and you mentioned teams are getting smarter about how they spend their money. They're just not throwing money around like they used to. Yankees spending all that money on A-Rod, even a guy like Jacoby Ellsbury who hasn't panned out at all. Uh, do you think a few years down the road, given how this has played out in the past two years, uh, with more bigger names on free agency looking to get their money as they rightfully should with guys like Scott Boris as their agent, do you think one day, because it hasn't happened in a long time, do you think one day we could see another strike in the MLB? certainly hope not but um but again i mean you, you look at it and it's certainly possible with kind of the uh the disconnect that there is right now whether it's p- pace of play or the way that free agent contracts or you know how long it's taken to get these guys signed i'm sure you could i certainly hope not i mean it's been the longest era of labor peace in any of the four major sports and i certainly love to keep it that way because um you know, if, if there's no games, Big Daddy doesn't work. So right. obviously I'm, I'm hoping that there isn't one. And, <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully there's enough time between now and when the CBA expires that uh, that they can continue this you know, labor peace. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, 
you know, nothing cuts into any sort of regular season the way that it did in, in 94 and 95. And, um, but you, uh, you never say never because um, that's just how it goes. You'd hope that the trend continues, that they're able to work this thing out, and maybe it's maybe there are arguments uh, on both sides that are far enough in advance of the expiration of the CBA that they could say, listen, you know, kind of cooler heads will prevail instead of it being a, an 11th hour thing. Well, we're, we're mad about X, Y, and Z, and there's no chance that we're going to figure this out, and now we're going on strike. You know, hopefully there's enough time to kind of hammer this stuff out, get on the same page, uh, and, and not be too disconnected when the CBA expires. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. A lot of things seeding up. Pitchers and catchers last week. Teams are in spring training now. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about you right now. So talk to me a little bit about your experience growing up in broadcasting. Was it always your goal to be a broadcaster, just from current broadcaster to aspiring broadcaster here? For sure. You know, I was, you know, six or seven years old, and uh, my, my mom's best friend was a few years older than me and, and certainly not as naive as I was. And, you know, I always loved sports growing up, and um, it never really occurred to me until we were talking one day, me and this, me and my, my buddy, that the, the voices that you hear when you're watching a sporting event were like actual, actual human beings who studied for, for that job and, and hired for that job. And I was like, wait a second, like that's, that's the thing that you can do for a living? And I never really uh, strayed from that, you know, I mean, all the way into from when I was six or seven and, and announcing my video games and crazy stuff like that, to, you know, in, in high school doing the morning announcements on the TV and in high school and into college with the internships and, and the TV station in college. And, you know, always kind of hoping that uh, that one day I would, uh, you know, get a big league job and, and be, a, be a big league broadcaster uh, was always the goal. Um, you know, I, I was a Yankee fan growing up, so it was always my – people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd say the voice of the Yankees. And, right. you know, I, I guess I whiffed on that for now, but I'll take the consolation prize of uh, Derek Jeter being the CEO, Don Mattingly being the manager, and, uh, and they just hired Jorge Posada earlier this week. Right. So I I think uh, I think I'll take it, but no, I mean it's it's uh, for me right now. This is an amazing um, opportunity, and, and the people that I work with uh, on camera, behind the scenes, with the team, it's I honestly couldn't ask for a, for a, a better situation. It's the reality uh, of it kind of surpasses what what the dream was back in the day, and that's uh, that doesn't happen very often. For sure. And what kind of uh, internships did you have growing up? to Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts, a little north of Boston, <clears throat> and it's a school that uh, uh, is, is known for uh, one of, if not the best internship programs in the country, and um, a small school, I think now there's only 25, 2,700 kids. When I graduated, there were 1,800 or 2,000 kids that went there. Um, so again, a small school, but, um, you know, they, I'm kind of a hands-on learner more than a classroom learner. Oh yeah, I understand um, that. So they, they made us do, it was, it was built into the schedule. Um, I always went back to school, uh, January break a little later than some of my friends cause they extended the January break. Um, so that freshmen in their, their January break could do an internship. So freshmen, sophomores did uh the the january internships and then when you were a senior you did a semester internship so i had the three that were kind of built into the schedule 
And then I was able to uh, finagle uh, another internship in between freshman and sophomore year in the summer. Uh, I was able to work that out as an, uh, as an independent study. So I did four when I was in school, um, and they were NBC affiliate, uh, the January same NBC affiliate in the summer, uh, ABC affiliate in both in Connecticut, um, my sophomore January, uh, worked at the TV station in college my junior year, and then um, Fox Sports New England is what it was at the time um, for the semester internship uh, my senior year. Um, fortunate to work with a lot of great people and that, that kind of helped to nurture the, my passion for the for this business and and, and, and foster that um, so I, I did those four internships and then when I graduated college on May 15th May 17th I started another internship which was not affiliated with the school but um, was an internship nonetheless with the uh, an independent league baseball team in my home state of Connecticut uh, the New Haven County Cutters, which no longer exists. Um, I'm pretty sure I ran them out of town. But, <laughs> um, but so that was my fifth, and I, I did radio, uh, internet at the time, broadcasts. Uh, I was the good color analyst uh, for that summer. So that was up until, um, I think, like mid-September because they made it to the playoffs. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to get my first job at ESPN a, uh, a, about a month later. And you just mentioned how you were color analyst at one point. Do you, do you obviously, do you uh, enjoy play-by-play a lot better than color? Because at times they could be t- two totally different things. Oh, for sure. You know, I think that that was, um, you know, it's independent baseball. It was internet broadcasts. I think that the, I think the audience was really just, uh, you know, my parents, the play-by-play uh parents and then maybe like half the team's parents <laughs> like it, yeah it, it, it wasn't exactly uh it wasn't didn't rival the super bowl when it came to ratings for sure but um yeah i mean for me i i have a, a very healthy respect for um trying to never really cross over that that analyst line um you know i i think that certainly you know, let's say you're doing a radio show, for example, and you're by yourself. Like, it's one thing to kind of analyze a, a game, a sport, whatever. But um, for me, I've, you know, I've always been on a dead seven years in MLB Network. I was always on a desk next to an analyst. So whether I love the sport, which I do, uh, I, you know, certainly think that I, I know the sport. But I there's no way that I know as much as the guy I'm sitting next to at any given time. So... You know, I, I, I like to think that I ask, um, you know, good questions, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that that's, that's propelled me in my career, kind of having that natural curiosity, but also having that that um, that humility to know that I don't know everything and that the guy next to me probably knows more and that, um, you know, I, I am an extension of kind of both sides. I'm an extension of the analyst. Uh, in a way, I'm an extension of the audience. So kind of playing that middle ground and, you know, hopefully asking enough questions that, um, that, that, that engage the analyst, but also, you know, might be something that somebody at home watching on TV is like, Hey, why don't you ask him about, Oh yeah, no, exactly that. Yes. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> right. You know, like kind of have, kind of have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, and, and certainly now in the in the booth every night, you know, I, I 
it's 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 difficult sometimes to to kind of hold back but at the same time i think i've trained myself enough that uh, again i i think i know the game and certainly see it from a different perspective i mean I, even the the most hardcore baseball fan is is not watching it as much as i am and and i'm fortunate that we have you know a strong fan base that'll watch obviously but you know, I, when I say that, I mean you know, we get a chance to talk with the manager every day. Um, you know, we're we're talking with the players every day, and then we're watching nine innings of baseball. And um, so, you know, we see a lot of baseball. And um, but that to me, that doesn't mean that I know everything about it. So I I, I never want to you know kind of be that be that analyst when I've got somebody sitting next to me. But um, you know play-by-play was always the was always the dream for me and uh and you know fortunate to have to have achieved it lived it out and hopefully i can for a long time and of course i i'm assuming that given your play-by-play for the marlins field access you talk to the guys every day like you said the players the coaches uh obviously in college that's a lot more difficult you have to like go through like sids uh at times they feel like you're kind of like a burden when you're talking to them like as a student i understand that but like right. it's it's an overall easier process doing that in the pros, right? And you you could be friendly and you're friends with some of the guys. It can be sure. I mean, I, I think it's it, it it also varies in terms of you know what you're doing. If you're more of a if if you're doing like a national kind of game, then you're popping in and, and you're maybe dropping in the day before and and chatting it up. And you have to kind of you'll have more of a, a schedule. Maybe a producer or somebody will make a schedule through the team when we tomorrow starting pitcher whatever um but when you're with a team it's you know i mean we we travel with the team we're on the same plane um so we're around them a lot more so it happens a little bit more organically um you know they 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 see it and then for me that's that's a that's a very important thing is to even if i'm and it happens honestly i'm not talking to guys more than i am talking to guys but right. Every day, uh, I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm listening to what the manager says when he meets with the media. I'm hanging out by the cage, and either I'm, I'm, I'm listening to try to kind of get a gauge as to okay when he's chit chatting with the pitcher, with the hitting coach. You know what might he be working on? Okay, let's c- try to keep an eye on something that that maybe he's working on today or or whatever. And, you know, I'll certainly interact with the players, but you know you can only talk with the same guy uh, about the same stuff so much. So. You know, when things come up, they're very accessible, and you know, unfortunately, it hasn't happened yet. I'm, I'm guessing it, it will at some point, um, just because, again, there, there's there's so much time for it to happen. But you know, uh, again, I, I hope to never cross any line. But you know, I, I've heard from other people. You know, always be accessible to the players because they're not watching your broadcast, but they might have a family member, a cousin who's watched the broadcast, and who knows, maybe misinterprets something that you said. A certain way and and they want to talk to you about it so i think that that's a responsibility to the players just as you have many responsibilities to to the audience you have a responsibility to the players you're covering them every day to be fair to them i think you know and um you know certainly last year was not a was not a great year in terms of wins and losses but you know we, we never sat there you know somebody makes an error or somebody strikes out we're not sitting up there laughing this guy stinks this guy shouldn't be you know that that, that to me they're 
they're doing they're doing something that you know in my wildest dreams I could never imagine doing, and I think you have to have uh, a certain level of respect for for what they're doing to never you know make a personal attack uh, on them. Um, so you know I'm very cognizant of that, but at the same time, just in case something ever gets misinterpreted, I think that you have to have a you have to have a uh, a knowledge that you know I'll, I'll be here you know if I said something that was kind of out of school let me know about it I'll I'll, I'll give my side of the story or whatever and, you know but but I, I've been blessed uh, through one year to, to, not, to not screw anything up too too bad and, and, and all the players welcome me with open arms the the players that have been there for a while the, the new players that came aboard um and again, though those are those are important relationships because when sometimes when things aren't going good for a player and it's a game of failure, you know you're you can go up to him and be like, you know, say say something. Hey, you know, what, what are you working on to try to get out of this little funk? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you have a relationship with the guy to say, you know, hey, you know, keep working, keep working, and um, and, and, you know, and they know that you're not going to go on the air and, and, and bash them, and you know, because that that doesn't really serve any sort of purpose. I mean, I, I know that. There are some, you know, people that want a truly honest broadcast, and I get it. But you know, I, I'm I'm not in the position right now where I'm going to sit there and, and give my two cents. I mean, these guys are, I I think partly because I've, I've been around baseball in such a, you know, um, direct way with my seven years at the network and now one year with the team with the Marlins. Um, that I know what goes into being a big leaguer, never mind a, a good or a great big leaguer, but just to be there. Um, and I think that you have to have that kind of respect. And when you do have a respect for what they do, I, I think that, that that gets reciprocated much faster and they have a respect for what you do. And that makes the relationship better. And then you can talk to them about some, you know, personal story that may add to the broadcast. So it all kind of all kind of works in a, in a circular pattern, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you just mentioned seven years at MLB Network. Is it an overall different dynamic broadcasting for an actual, like, an organization as opposed to broadcasting for the network? Uh, for sure. You know, I mean, again, because you're, you're, you're entrenched with the team, you're with the team, um, you, you certainly see it at a much different depth. Um, when you're with a with one team uh, every day, I mean, again, I've been fortunate through my career. I was with, started ESPN, so I kind of saw all sports and needed to know a lot about a lot. And then I went to MLB Network and needed to know even more about one thing in baseball. And now I've focused it even more to basically have to know everything about one team. So yeah, in that sense, it's it's much more. Um, it's much more in depth. I, you know, I, I used to say that MLB Network did more than just read the headline. We 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 got into the entire article. So I, I got to come up with something. Maybe maybe we're the novel. The Marlins yeah. doing doing the games is the novel as opposed to just the article about something. But you know, that, that's kind of how I how I see the uh, the dynamic change. But um, yeah, I mean, I love my time at the network too. But this was always the uh, always the ultimate goal. Yeah, well, what would you consider uh, a more crazier schedule? There at the network, obviously here with the Marlins during the regular season, it's got to be nuts. What's your schedule like right now? Just like in spring training, obviously you're off today. Like on-field promos, you had broadcasts, interviews. Is it as crazy as the regular season, or is spring training kind of more laid back for you guys? Uh, for me, 
personally, just in terms of like actual responsibilities, in terms of like needing to be here, there, or wherever at a certain time, it's uh, it's it's not so bad. Only because we're doing, uh, we I'm only broadcasting two spring training games, um, but you know, hopefully in the coming years we'll be broadcasting more because there'll be more of a more of a hunger and more of a thirst for uh, for for Marlin spring training games. Other broadcasters uh, will do 10 or 15 games, so it all kind of varies based on the team and the market. But you know, one one huge blessing is the fact that uh, you know the Marlins. I think outside of the outside of the Diamondbacks, which you know they their spring training's in Scottsdale and their ballpark is in Phoenix, which is about you know 20 minutes, a half hour away. I mean, from Miami, and I live a little north of Miami, but from Miami to Jupiter is about an hour and 20. You know, so like I'm, I'm like 45 minutes or an hour up the road, uh, down the road from uh, from Jupiter. So you know, I kind of popped into camp yesterday. I'll you know probably go there once or twice a week, um, outside of any other you know meetings that are scheduled, just kind of on my own. But um, in terms of actual responsibilities, it's that. But then it's you know getting getting some notes together and reading as many articles as you can to get some background and, and make sure that you have. You know, little little tidbits that uh, that can fill in the voids of you know the the early part of the season is probably the toughest, just because there's not a lot to kind of fall back on in the, that first week or two, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh hey, you know, he's been hot for three weeks. It's like, no, he's had four at bats. So right. All right, you know, nothing is you take everything with a grain of salt. So you need a little bit of you know background information and stuff like that. So just to be able to get there and chit chat with some guys and and kind of start to lay the groundwork. Um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Okay, so seven years at MLB Network. Give me a little bit about that experience, MLB Network. A couple of appearances on Intentional Talk with Kevin Millar. Uh, just an overall like experience with those guys, because that seems like one of the best jobs in the world, just watching it yes. on TV. It, it absolutely uh, was um, for me and, and the, the people there on, on camera, behind the scenes, um, our bosses, uh, everybody tremendous tremendous people um and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to have been there um i'm thankful that they were flexible enough to allow me to pursue this marlins job um but yeah i mean it was it was great i mean it was uh first or second day that i was there i was still kind of shadowing to see how everything went and i like I had maybe like a month off in between ESPN and uh, and MLB Network, and it was December, so there was really wasn't much going on. I'm trying to I'm at home and I'm brushing up on all my baseball stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Here we go. And I sit in my second meeting or whatever it was, and Peter Gammons comes in and sits down, and then John Heyman comes in and sits down, and these guys are just talking about stuff, and I'm just like, holy crap! Like I feel like I've been in a coma for the last twelve years. Like I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So you know, you you always get challenged and you know certainly got up to speed as the right. time went on but you know you're, you're always challenged by uh by anybody that's there and, and they did do a great job of, of hiring and filling every kind of checking every different box whether it's pitchers or position players catchers first basemen you know dhs managers gms i mean the, the personnel that they've got there is just terrific and you know, every night, every night, 
um, you know, that you're, you're on the air, you're learning something, um, from, and I think that that's kind of how you have to be. And, uh, and again, if you're learning something and you're the host, that must mean that you might be asking a good question or two. So, you know, I think that it all kind of played out. Like I said, once you kind of know that, uh, at least this is my feeling, once you kind of know that you don't know everything, you'll want to know more and you'll know that these guys certainly have, have seen it all and lived it all and uh and that their experience and their expertise is is what drives the network and you know just you know i was i I heard once that a great a great interviewer is never noticed like you don't notice them asking the questions because you just remember the great answers and i I think that to me a a good host is the same way if you just kind of ask a ask a quick insightful question get out of the way and let the answer and and, then the story kind of go that uh, it will lead to good, good, compelling television, and that you were just kind of a, a, a part of it, even if you didn't do a lot of the necessarily heavily heavy lifting, and you're not sitting there telling the stories for 20 minutes, but you were the one that asked the question that led to the great 20 minute story. You know, you, you've done a good job. Yeah, I mean, I get to attest to that right now. I mean, <laughs> but uh, who would you consider is your uh, greatest men? Who was your greatest mentor on that uh, program? terrific uh people that have helped me along the way i mean I, I i would hate to just limit it to mlb network people i mean i think that it for me like i said I, I knew what i wanted to do from a young age but my first internship if let's just say i had people that were you know mean and oh here we go we gotta have another crummy intern come through all right here's how i like my coffee uh cream yeah. and two sugars and uh stay out of my way i've got to write tonight's show so don't come back here till 10 o'clock and you know stay off your phone and be quiet don't talk to me don't look me in the eye if i had something like that who knows what i'd be doing you know um but i didn't i had uh Kevin Nathan um, was a t- tremendous teacher and, and fortunately has turned into a great friend uh, over the years and um, working at uh, the NBC affiliate in Connecticut. Um, Fred Nutter was a guy who was the producer um, at NBC in Connecticut at the time. And again, a tremendous, tremendous teacher um, who told me all the time, you know, tell a great story. And he'd always, you know, offer me up, you know, great movies to watch or great interviews to watch or whatever it is. Um, and he always told me, fight through the block. He used to play football at UConn. He always, you know, I'd tell him, well, I, you know, I can't find this or I can't. And he's like, hey, fight through the block. And it's just a way of saying like, hey, figure it out. There's a way to do it. You're smart enough. You can handle it. You want to work in this business, you got to figure it out. And, you know, I, I, I never, obviously never forgot that. Um, you know, there are many more people at NBC. When I was at uh, the ABC affiliate, John Pearson, another guy um, who at the time was a tremendous uh, teacher. Now, again, still a friend that I, that I keep in touch with. Um, you know, the, the people at, at Comcast New England were all terrific. In fact, when I was, you know, debating whether or not to leave ESPN, one of the places that I auditioned to work was actually Comcast New England. So they, they liked me enough that five years later they said, hey, you know, instead of being an intern, why don't you see if you can audition here? And, um, I, I auditioned there. I think it went well, but... Um, I, I don't know if I ever got a formal offer from them, but that was only because the following week I 
uh, interviewed at MLB Network, and uh, you know the, the opportunity there was just a little bit better. So I don't even mm-hmm. know if I entertained anything from Fox, but um, you know that there are tremendous people there as well. And uh, ESPN, I had a number of folks. Um, the MLB Network. I mean, one guy that jumps out that, without question, and there are many, uh, is Matt Vaskersian. Oh yeah. Um, I remember one of the first week or two that I was there. You know, he came to look for me in my office and, and just to introduce himself. And, uh, you know, I mean, this guy is it, tremendous and had, had, had big jobs. Um, and for him to like, come look at me and then not only just to say hi, but say, Oh, I, I've seen so many of your highlights on ESPN.com. They kind of like engage with me like that. And, and you know, obviously want to be a, an aspiring, uh, play by play announcer. I mean, the, the amount of times that I, nagged him in his office about different things and you know how do you you know, how do you keep score how do you prep what questions do you ask all kinds of stuff um you know he was always gracious with his time and um you know he he was he was so excited for me when i got the marlins job because he knew how how much i wanted to to get one of these jobs and um you know he was thrilled for me and, and walked me through a bunch of different things leading up to it and the interview process and and then afterwards, when I had gotten the job and everything else, so uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a long list of people that have uh, that have helped me along the way. And you just mentioned it. Tell me that story of getting that call and the opportunity to be the play-by-play broadcaster for the Marlins. Well, since I just brought up Maddie, there's a an interesting story there. So I think I was the first um, of I don't know exactly how many people. I mean, five, maybe there were ten. I don't know. Like finalists that. You know, Fox Sports Florida flew flew to the flew to the station and and, and did the audition process or anything else uh, before they made their final decision. And I was the first one to go, and it was early January, so three weeks or so had gone by, and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, and you know, I don't have an agent, so I like didn't necessarily have every little bit of inside information as to how everything was going. So I didn't want to you know nag the bosses down there and see what was going on. So it was kind of a weird situation but it was a friday night and uh and maddie called me and he said hey hey did you hear anything and i said no i haven't heard anything he goes really you sure i said yeah i haven't heard anything what have you heard he goes oh well, I, I haven't heard anything i just heard that they made their decision and they, they know who they're going with and he's like i was hoping that you had found out by now and i said no i haven't heard anything he's like all right well listen i just you know, stay focused and, and maybe, maybe something will happen on Monday. And, um, so I, you know, I, I actually had gotten a phone call, uh, on Monday morning from somebody else in the industry who I had been kind of talking to and, and getting some insight from just in terms of, you know, everything, the job and kind of <laughs> coaching me through the anxiety of the waiting game and everything else. And I, this person called me in the morning and said, Hey, I don't know if you have heard anything yet. And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, I actually heard that they're going with somebody else. And I said, oh, all right. Yikes. So, um, and, and I was, so I was, you know, kind of disappointed. Obviously, I wanted the, this job pretty bad, this opportunity pretty bad. And I, I was there with my wife and she kind of saw my shoulders shrug at the time. And then she, you know, her shoulders shrugged. And I, you know, I talked to him for a few minutes and got off the phone. And, you know, both of us were kind of broken up over and disappointed 
And then I called my mom up in Connecticut and said, hey, Ma, I just got a call from a buddy. I said, I don't know for sure, but he, he seems to think that they're going with somebody else. And she starts crying and everything else. And it's going to be all right. Everything happens for a reason. Right. Okay. And, uh, and so I, you know, I had to kind of clean myself up quick because I had to go into MLB Network that day. I had to shift uh, work and intentional talk. You know, it's a funny, lighthearted show. I got to be upbeat. I got this whole thing. So... Um, I get an email from uh, one of the bosses of Fox Sports Florida say, hey, can we talk around 1.30 today? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And uh, so, you know, 1.30 rolls around and answer the phone, and I'm thinking the worst, obviously. And, all right, you're going to let me down, let me down easy, and I'm trying to, you know, hide my disappointment because I'm not supposed to know what I think I know and everything else. And, you know, he goes through a couple of the same questions that we talked about a few weeks ago. Can you, can you get out of your contract? You want to move to Florida, the whole thing? Yep, yep, yep. I'm all good. Let's just let's just get this over with so I can carry on with my life. And he <laughs> says, uh, all right, well, um, with all that said, um, we'd like to offer you the position. And I'm thinking to myself, like every expletive in the book first. And I'm like, well, wait, say it again? And he's like, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd like to offer you the position. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you crazy? Yes, of course. Yes. And, uh, and he's like, all right, terrific. Now, at this point, you know, it hadn't talked money or years or, you know, it gotten like the absolute definite confirmation from the network that I could get out of my deal and everything else. I was certainly hopeful, but I didn't know like for sure. And, so he's like, all right, well, you want to know how much? I said, yes, oh, all right, great, good. And he's like, all right, now what about that contract thing? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, let me run upstairs. Let me talk to my bosses about this. So I go upstairs, and, um, and I talk to the bosses, and, and, I, and now I'm starting to like, get nervous thinking, okay, now I've, I've, I've got a job, and I've just accepted a new one before actually talking to my bosses. Like every bad thought's going through my brain. Right. Walked in my boss's office, and you know, I told him I was going to talk to him in the afternoon. And uh, and I said, well, they, they just offered me the job. And I'm, like, excited. And he, and he says, uh, well, what would you tell him? And I said, and now I'm thinking, oh, my God, I should have said, hold on, let me talk to them. Oh, my Lord, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it at the goal line. And he says, what would you say? And I said, I said, yes. And he said, good, congratulations. He gave me a big hug. And. And it was really, it was really pretty cool. So, um, and then when I, so anyway, to circle back, I called Vascursion. I said, hey, Maddie, I got some news. He goes, yeah. He goes, I got the job. He goes, that's awesome. That's great. He goes, I knew it on Friday. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. When I called you, I knew that you were the guy, but I didn't want to be the one to tell you. So once I knew that you didn't know, I wasn't going to be the one to, to, to ruin that moment for you. But he goes, I knew on Friday night that you were the guy. And I said, Oh my God. And so that was, that was kind of the, uh, that was kind of that, that moment and the tie in with the, with the mentor that's kind of pulling for you. So that was uh that was a special day. And then I, I got everything together and then I uh, went and hosted intentional talk, probably told a few extra jokes that day. <laughs> so I was in a good mood. Uh, that, that's an awesome story. I mean, he kind of made it seem like that you weren't the guy that got the job and then turn around a few days later, he's like, yeah, I knew. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was Maddie that talked to me Friday and then it was somebody else that had called me on Monday and, and really kind of 
turned everything 180 on me. And when I talked to that guy again, and he goes, wow, I'm so glad that my source was wrong. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a wild, wild couple days. Uh, so now you're second season with the Marlins. Um, the whole Miami Marlins image process right now with Jeter at the helm. They got rid of Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich. Just got rid of Real Muto. Um, he said in an interview, like he's pl- like the Marlins come out every day like they should to compete and contend. Um, the plant, like the word tanking, always comes up. That's not like the goal. The goal is to play to win the game, play to contend, play to compete. Um, what's your uh, perspective on this? Like, do you believe it when Derek Jeter says these words? Like, you play to compete every day. Like, obviously, that's always been his mindset. But at the same time, you traded all of your all-star players, and it seems like you're more worried about like the potential draft picks you might get. But at the same time, you're still trying to compete to the greatest ability. Well, I, I will say this, and I mean this. Um, I, I watched Derek Jeter play uh, for what twenty years. And I think that there was one game at Yankee Stadium that he played that did not have some sort of playoff implications. Like, this guy is a winner. And, and you know, obviously he and, he and I kind of share something that knowing what we wanted to do from a young age, working hard and working against all odds to kind of achieve that. So I, I know that when he sets his mind to something, it, it gets done. I mean, I, I certainly understand um, because I, I've heard it a lot that you know, all the things that you just said with, with trading all these players and everything else. Um, but the, the truth of the matter, honestly, is that they weren't winning with those players. You know what I mean? Like they had arguably the best outfield in 2017, um, with Ozuna and Yelich and Stan best outfield in baseball. And I don't think they won 80 games. So you have tremendous talent, but it's not working out. And you have a ton of money locked up in Giancarlo's stand that hamstrings your your budgets. And you have a depleted farm system with absolutely no reserves on the way. So circle back to Derek Jeter. When Derek Jeter was with the Yankees, I mean, we hear it all the time, the core four. You know, we'd throw Bernie Williams in the mix. There were five players that were kind of homegrown players that came through the system that were the cornerstones of that run. I mean, it's a run. I mean, we certainly talk about the Patriots all the time, and for good reason, all the Super Bowl wins. But when was the last time the Yankees had a sub-500 season? So, you know what I mean? Like, you, you've got to have that strength from within. And I, I truly do love and I loved it I'll tell you what because the Yelich trade happened like the weekend before I found out I got the job so I I didn't have a horse in the race and I loved that move you know I think it, it's something that needed to be done um, you need to have depth in the minor league system that's just the way that the game is and that's how you have sustained runs of success. I mean, the, the Marlins have won two World Series championships. That's terrific. The Marlins have never lost a postseason series. That's terrific. They've been to two postseasons in 25 years. Right. That's not that's not good enough. And if you know, it's certainly their players 
that have left have been very vocal about it. I mean, heck, Stanton is recently, as a few days ago, is still kind of making comments about his time in Miami. If you don't want to be there, then, you know, essentially make accommodations and make ourselves better. You know, I mean, I, I totally understand that. And you, you need, when you're a franchise where the Marlins are at right now, you need guys that are going to buy in. You Any franchise, not just whether it's winning or losing, uh, you know, records, you're, you need players that are going to buy in. And if you don't have, and, and when they're key players at that high a level that are not buying in, then everybody suffers. So I absolutely love what the Marlins have done. Um, over these past two years. And, and the, the farm system went from bottom two or three to Baseball America's got them at 13. Now, I understand fully that a great farm system does not win a World Series. I get it. But what you have is the basis, is the foundation for a sustained winner, a team that can be a competitive club every year. You know, And once you kind of get to a point where you're consistently winning like you, not that anything is a given but if you know okay well we're gonna we could probably roll out of bed let's just say and win 80 games this year okay how how over the course of this year can we pick up another 10 or 12 wins and get ourselves a division title get ourselves into the wild card mix you know what i mean like and, and that's that's where they've got to be on a consistent basis. That's where they want to be on a consistent basis. And I, and I truly believe that that's where they will be once they and, – and that's the other part of it too is that they are – I can see it now. I, I wasn't there under the previous ownership group, but I've, I've certainly heard enough uh, before and, and since getting the job. There, there was a path, but that path always changed. Now there is a path, and they're sticking to that path. You know, they're not going to go out there and do foolish things for tomorrow. They're going to do it for, you know, next week and next month and next year and the next 10 years and make sure that this thing can last and not just go all in for a one or two year run so that they can, you know, break it all down again and, and spend another eight to 10 years building it back up. 2003 was the last time they were in the postseason. You know, enough is enough. Whatever they were doing, it didn't work. Trying something else, and they're sticking to a plan, and they're trusting people, not just Derek Jeter, uh, who's certainly won World Series championships, but a lot of people that he's brought in in the front office that uh, that know a thing or two about winning as well. And and I and I fully fully trust the plan that they've got in place. Yeah, obviously got a lot of good points there. If you don't want to be there, you shouldn't be there. For sure. Do you think the current players, I mean, you know them a lot better than I do. Do you think the current players buy into the system? Or do you think some of them are kind of just there? Because a lot of them, guys like Sterling Castro might not be there for when they win five, six years down the road. Do you think all these guys are buying in? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that in a, you saw it, you mentioned Sterling Castro. You, you saw it early last year. Um, I mean, by the but when he got traded, there were some maybe some negative comments. But by the time spring training rolled around, I didn't hear a peep, not a peep, not a not a bad attitude a day all year from day one of spring training. Nothing, um, you know. And I, I think that that's that's important. 
You know, I mean, I, I think that, uh, that we've seen it with the Cubs. We've seen it with the Astros, all these teams that have kind of broken it down and built it back up again. Um, you know, there when there are those lean years, many of the players that are there in the lean years are not the players that are there when the team wins again. But that doesn't mean – see, that's the thing. Like, if, if let's just say everybody says, oh, all the – odds makers or whatever say the Marlins are going to win 75 games this year, whatever, 65, whatever the heck the number is, who cares? But does that mean that they're, like, they're not going to play the games? You know what I mean? Like, I see these players every day. Nobody's showing up to the ballpark at 6.30 and slapping on their uniform and just going out there at 7.10 for the first pitch. Like, they're there every day at 12, 1 o'clock. They're taking the batting practice, the extra batting practice, the extra ground balls. They're working. They're trying to win every single day. So, I mean, I, I, at this level, um, there is. I understand the notion of tanking, but I do not believe for one second that the, the franchises and the teams and the players and the front office personnel that are in the midst of this building process, nobody's saying, man, I hope we lose today. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that if the Marlins had 97 wins at the end of September that they'd be like, geez, this sucks. I, I right. wish we'd lost 30 more games so we can get the number one draft pick. You know what I mean? Like that, that just, that just doesn't happen. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's a fun little notion. It's a fun little narrative, but I, I've seen it that, you know, nobody checked out. The guys were taking batting practice on the last day of the year. Like maybe not cause it was Sunday afternoon, but still the point being like, you know, they're, they're, they're still into it until the final day. And, and I think that that's just that whole competitive nature of wanting to win when there's an opportunity to win and you get one with baseball every day. You have a chance to win every day. It doesn't matter if you've lost five in a row, 10 in a row, 12 in a row. You have an opportunity to win today. That's all you can control is today. And obviously this is probably an obvious outlook, but they're obviously not the favorites um, in the NL East, you got the Phillies, I've Mets. Heard, I've heard that. Right, right. So, but like, obviously, you just said the goal is to go out there and win every day. And obviously, would the mindset for all these players being like, let's shock the world, let's prove everybody wrong, and try and like go into this year trying to win this division? Well, sure. Why not? I mean, you know, like I said, that that's the, you 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 don't focus on the whole season. You know, I mean, if if they win or lose opening day against the Rockies, they're, they're not mathematically eliminated. So it's not like they're going to pack up the bags and go home. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you look at last year, I understand where they were in the win-loss column. I get it. But if you take a look at the, the small victories along the way, they split uh, four games overall last year with the Yankees, who were, I think, a pretty good team last year. They took four out of six from the Dodgers, who were pretty good last year. They took four out of six from the Rockies last year, who were a pretty good team. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's – and, again, that's not to say that those, whatever it is, 12 games or 15 games, whatever it was, that, that made the whole season. I get it. It's a small sliver. But the point being is that any given day, any team can win. And I think that that's the mindset that – they're going into the season with which is okay we're not going to win or lose a division on opening day but we can win on opening day and then that next day we can win today saturday we can win today 
may or may not happen that way, but you kind of take every day uh, as a new opportunity, and I think that that's the mindset you have to have. Yeah, it should be an interesting season for the Marlins. Um, just a couple more questions for you, the first being, given your broadcast expertise, what is your favorite call thus far in your career? Oh, man. Um, I might have to go off the board a little bit, and the the World Baseball Classic. I was fortunate enough uh, last time around to, in uh, 2017, uh, I, I went to Seoul, South Korea, um, called the first game of the tournament. I was with that whole bracket, and then um, I, I crossed over to the, uh, so I think where did it start? It was Seoul and Tokyo, and then it was like Panama City and Mexico City or something like that. So then the Seoul group went to Tokyo, so that's the second round was in Tokyo, but I crossed over the bracket in the second round, and I went to San Diego, so I was with the, the two North American or Central American, uh, whatever they were at the time, I forget where the cities were, uh, those you know teams that had moved on. So I went to San Diego, and I did the World Feed, and I did LA in the, the finals, the World Feed as well, so I did the entire tournament, and uh, oddly enough, Manny Machado in uh, San Diego was playing for the Dominican Republic and the atmosphere that night USA Dominican Republic was unbelievable you know I, I might have said like 26 words that night because I just laid out and just let all of the all the atmosphere kind of take over you know I, I don't often do it but I took one of the ear ear muffs off and put it like behind my ear so I could actually hear with my own ears and feel the atmosphere in the ballpark and Machado sent one of the gap in right center field and it was gone and out of nowhere Adam Jones comes up and makes his catch like his shoulder is at the top of the wall and and I absolutely lost it I mean it was an unbelievable moment it was an unbelievable game an unbelievable atmosphere um and and that was uh, that was a fun night. That was a fun uh, experience. That you know, three weeks or so. I know it was it was tough to be away from home for so long, but um, it was a, it was a fun experience. And uh, and that was that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, and teammates at the time in Baltimore. I mean, you can't write that stuff up. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so grew up in Connecticut, Yankee fan, like you said. What's your favorite uh, baseball moment as a fan? You know, I uh, it, it's hard for me to not pick, and it, it'd be boring to anybody else, but it, it was special to me. I uh, my my dad passed away when I was twenty, so that was two thousand three. But in nineteen ninety six, I was uh, I just turned thirteen years old, and I remember watching Game Six of the World Series. The Yankees had lost the first two games of the World Series to the Braves, and you know, at that point, you're, you're hearing all these things. Teams that are down two nothing. Have now, you know, only one X, Y number of uh, World Series or whatever. This one's just about over. And they ended up coming back. They won all three games in in Atlanta, and then they had Game Six at Yankee Stadium. And and I was in my room watching that game with my dad. And I I will never forget it when Mark Lemke popped it up wide of third. The second time, because he popped it up, I believe it was the pitch right before, right. and it went like a second row into the seats. They popped it up to nearly the exact same spot, 
and uh, the, and it fell into Charlie Hayes' glove, and Joe Buck said the Yankees are champions of baseball. And as everybody jumped on John Wetland and Joe Girardi at the mound, I remember I jumped up straight up once, and then I jumped back uh, onto my dad, and it was a uh, that was a really fun, amazing moment, and uh, and it, it's it's something that I'll that I'll never forget. You know, I wasn't one of those. I was there for a perfect game, or right. you know, this guy. I met this guy, and he signed a ball and took a picture. It wasn't anything like that, but it was just that. Uh, you know, it's, it's for me that that's kind of what you you strive for as a broadcaster is being able to be there to document those moments that turn into those memories for the audience and um and then just be kind of a soundtrack of history and you know that was uh that was something that i'll never forget that's awesome story um final question before i let you go as an aspiring broadcaster, you play by play for the Marlins. I asked, I had Victor Rojas on this show a number of weeks ago. I asked him the same question. What would be your biggest uh, piece of advice for a guy like me trying to break into this business? I would say don't say no to anything. Um, you know, try, try whatever is out there, get reps, um, and, and try to get some positive, some learning moment out of anything. Um, you know, I, I did when I was at MLB Network, and they had uh, they had combined with NHL Network, so that meant the World Junior Hockey Tournament, and they had me do that tournament. And I, I didn't, I wasn't confident in my hockey play-by-play, and certainly not for a tournament of that scale. And USA had just won the gold medal the year prior, so there were going to be a million eyeballs on this thing. And and I, I tried like hell to kind of get out of it. And, uh, and they said, no, you're going to be fine. And I, and I did it and I really just tried to survive and not, you know, mess up the furniture too much. But, you know, point being, even though I just said, don't say no. And I tried to say no, but try to take something positive out of it. That tournament was going on all the while. I was actually waiting to hear back from Fox if I was going to be a finalist or not for the Marlins job. So my brain was kind of in two different places, but you know, I thought to myself, okay, here's because I was going to do Team USA's games only, so it was like six or seven games, whatever it was. But I thought to myself, okay, here's your here's your chance to cover a team every day, see how it goes. How can you do it? How can you go from okay, it's not a one-off game where you're going to go in there with two or three bullet points for every player, and you're going to use those bullet points, and by the time the game is over, the game is over, and then you're done. Like you're gonna go into this 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 whole uh, venture with four bullet points on a player, but you're not gonna use those four bullet points every night. Like you've got to evolve. How can you change your information on a player? How can you get to know a player? Read a story about a player to mix that in with the broadcast. Like how can you enhance this? How can you find a positive in something that you're not thrilled about doing? And uh, and when you do that, I think that's how you how you're able to kind of grow and um, and maybe find to you know, get outside of your comfort zone. Basically, I think that that's the only way that you grow uh, in any in any walk of life. I think that that's the only that's how you how you grow and how you get better is when you do something different. You know, like right. uh, you hear that all the time. People you, you go to the gym every day, but if you do the same exercise, you get into a rut. You're not seeing any results, right? So you always want to change your your workouts, your exercises. So. 
same same kind of thing you know get outside your comfort zone and and, and certainly in this day and age when uh you know versatility in this business is so important maybe try something new something that you weren't good at that or you didn't know you were good at now you find out that you're good at it and that's another you know feather in your cap another piece uh of the puzzle another skill set so that's that's what i would say never say no to something uh, and always try to find the positive in it in order to uh, to, to make yourself better. There you go. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for doing this. No, you didn't have to after uh, three months. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kept seeing that email. I was like, I got to write back. I got to write back. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I think I had someone like six months, honestly, write back. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, always keep an open mind. Thanks again. I Enjoy your off day because it's going to be a very busy season as it always is. Um. And that was Miami Marlins broadcaster Paul Severino, and it was a great listen, wasn't it? Just like I said it was going to be. Well, the train keeps rolling in as spring training kicks off this Monday, episode 50. We reach 50 episodes here on Podbean with the Osho podcast. We ring it in with Philadelphia Phillies play-by-play broadcaster Tom McCarthy joins the show from... CBS Sports Philadelphia should be fun. We'll talk some Bryce Harper. Until then, that was episode 49 with Paul Severino. Remember, the Osho podcast is presented by FantasyJocks.com. Be a champ today by getting your fantasy gear over at FantasyJocks.com. Hit it, Hootie. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube